The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today, we have a very special guest joining us all the way from Singapore. Jane Horan is the founder of the Horan Group. She is an expert in organization development, and she is the author of I Wish I'd Known That Earlier in My Career, The Power of Positive Workplace Politics. Jane, welcome to Leading Conversations. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's great to have you here. So um, tell us where you are today. Well, I'm sitting in Singapore, uh, and it's about it's just about to have a, an incredible rainstorm, which I uh, hope doesn't interact with the conversation, but they're usually pretty intense. <laughs> wow. All right. A little bit like monsoon? Yep. <laughs> so uh, now you live in Singapore, right, Jane? Yeah, I've lived I lived in Asia for over twenty some years, and I'm now living in Singapore. Ah, very nice. So many people know you because of the work you've done um, with some multinational corporations. Uh, you've worked for organizations like Kraft Foods, the Walt Disney Company, CNBC, um, and you've always been in uh, kind of talent and leadership development roles where you really are helping organizations to cultivate their leadership and to shape their culture. What is it that got you interested in this? You know, why did you decide um, many years ago that you wanted to step into this world? Um, Yeah, great question. I first started out in human resources, and I think I'm one of those people that always asks why. You know, why does this happen and how does this work? Actually, probably the person that drives people inside organizations crazy because I'm always asking, well, why do you do that? So I moved into HR, and uh, I wanted to know, I was kind of curious as to how do we get talent, why do we, you know, who stays, who doesn't stay. Uh, Then I moved into learning and development, and then what fascinated me was organizational cultures, probably because I've moved out of the United States and study cultures, and I wanted to know what makes people fit or, or how does it work that you get people who stay and some don't stay. So that's, it's kind of the question of why, why does this work that got me to where I am today. So the curiosity in you um, attracted you yes. to, you know, helping people to become better, build their potential more. Um, so what is it about that and politics that has <laughs> gelled for you? Yeah, I laugh. Um, it, it, so, so it goes back to the question of why. So I would be sitting in talent management 
sessions and wonder why some people were chosen for leadership roles and while others were passed over. And I started looking at, um, I, I taught a class actually called Organizational Savvy. And, and, and when I taught this class, the penny dropped and thought, these are all the things that we don't talk about in, in, um, in business school or, you know, when you go back to get an MBA. Um, all the things that you're not taught when you're actually getting your job. You're, you, you focus on the skills, and what's really important is this, and I, I mean the positive, high-integrity side of politics. This is building relationships, building coalitions. That's the part. And what I found is there was um, people who didn't learn this weren't the ones being picked to move ahead. Right. Wow. So it's not just about how smart you are or how skilled you are, but how, as people have said for a long time, how well you play the game. Yeah, but you know what? I don't like to call it a game. I think it is a critical leadership skill, and it's something that uh, Daniel Goldman wrote about in his book years ago in the late 1990s on emotional intelligence. He has a whole chapter on political awareness. And what I discovered is every single competency framework has political savvy or reference to political savvy guides in many different ways, like organizational agility, organizational savvy, or just plain old political savvy. But we stay away from it. I, I believe it's because of this negative connotation that comes with it. So I don't think it's a game. I think it's a critical skill. And it's about managing relationships and building coalitions. And there's a whole other slew of behaviors underneath it, too. Right. Well, and so what does it mean to build a coalition? Building a coalition is, you know, building stakeholders, getting, well, this is actually goes back to the Greek origins of the word. If you, if you look up, you know, when I first started writing this book, someone said, well, what's the origin of politics? And looked it up, and it's, it says building coalitions. So it's getting people to follow you, getting people around your idea. The positive side comes from your, that your idea is good for the organization, is good for the team. It's not just good for you to get ahead. So that's where the, the high integrity side comes from. So it's getting people to follow you. It's a, it's a leadership uh, skill. So, you know, it sounds like um, that not only do people need to develop this skill, but they need to develop in a certain way. Because there are a lot of people who play politics, we call it playing politics, right, who are very skilled at it, but it seems that sometimes it comes at the expense of others, and it really comes um, in sometimes a very untrustworthy way. So what is the difference that you're, from that that you're talking about? Yeah. And, and you know what? We've all seen that. So we've all seen the 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 people that uh, are, I, I guess, to use the word, are adept at playing a game or understanding the organization and how to get ahead. What I'm talking about is it really gets back to one integrity, but two. Um, and I know this sounds lofty, but for the greater good. So, so what are you doing? You as a leader, you as a functional leader, you as 
the head of a department doing that's going to add value to the to the company. Not what are you doing that's going to help you get ahead. Now, in the process, yes, people do get ahead, but as long as you're not doing it in the backs of others, so that's that's how I differentiate it. And and we've all worked for really good leaders who get it, who know how to build coalitions, who. Yeah know how to influence others and, and do it for the good of the organization. And we also work for people who don't. Right, right. Many of us have had both experiences, that's true. Um, and, and sometimes we see people, you know, from both of those experiences um, still moving up the ladder in the same way. Um, so if there's not always a guarantee. It, um, it occurs to me that the whole concept of being savvy and playing politics or being political in a way that um, is more constructive um, is something that, I mean, you alluded to it earlier, nobody teaches this, you know, it's not something that you get in MBA school or, you know, any other, there's no doctorate in it, you know, and so when do you think is a good time to start teaching people about this? I I would recommend teaching it in, um, uh, you know, undergraduate at, at, at college um, and certainly in MBA programs. Um and and getting people to learn about it before they work really hard and get into an organization and keep putting their head down and try to perfect the spreadsheet to perfect the marketing plan and not reach out and look across the rest of the organization. So I'd say starting college. I I would add though there there are there are some universities that do teach this and they're very good at it. Who is that? Well, Stanford University is one. So Jeffrey Seffer, who I think I've quoted in my book, has been teaching power and politics for years. Uh, Columbia University, I know, is another one, and I can't think of the top of my head. But there are people that are just now seeing, uh, starting to really talk about this inside uh, MBA programs in particular. Well, that's encouraging, huh? You know, it's... Um... <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely encouraging. And I wonder um, if the more that this, the more awareness that it develops around this, um, I wonder how this is going to reshape our organizations. Do you have a sense of that? Well, um, you know, you're probably going to tell by my conversation I'm sort of forever the optimist, but yeah. I believe that the, <laughs> the more we teach savvy, the less you have the negative organizations will have the negative side of politics because what ha- there's a, as I said in the beginning, there's a, a lot of behavioral components that are underneath savvy, and one is. Uh, um, detect the deception. And so as soon as we start seeing people that are acting outside of the norm or, or for themselves, we can have the courage to call people on it. And so I firmly believe you keep the skill, level the playing field, it's going to reduce the negative side. So you talk a lot about, um, well, you have a lot of stories in your book, which I love because they're very demonstrative of, of how different people have um, had successes and failures in the political realm. What Do you have a favorite story that you can share with us? Boy, I have to look back at the recesses of my, my book. One of my favorite, I shouldn't say, well, I don't know, favorite, but it's an interesting story. There was um, 
Um, there's one story I think it's very short. I tell about us, a person who was seen as a um, was a marketing person, an events person, was seen as more of a party animal. Was always going out and doing things, which is which is interesting because we always say you know go out and network and go out after work and be part of the group because not all things happen at work, right? But this person actually maybe did a little too much, did a little too much party, and I and I remember pulling this person. I, I actually sat talent management meeting, and when the the name came up to be promoted, that was the feedback on this person. Oh, you know, party animal, and oh, yes, you want to have a good time, call this person. So I went over and told told the person, because I thought, you know, this is impacting their career, and I didn't want it to. And um, I don't know if I tell it in the book, but actually, I had a very strong reaction, but really upset with me and, and didn't talk to me for like years after that. And I thought, all I was trying to do was help them, to tell them about their perception. Yes, exactly. I'm really trying to help. Uh, so maybe it was the how that I did it. I just said, here's, here's what I'm hearing. I think you should know about it. So. Wow. And so was this person able to, whether they would talk to you or not, again, <laughs> did you see any shift happening in this person following that? Actually, as a matter of fact, uh, I think it wasn't yours, but um, she did over it, and she's done, she's done really well. She's um, she took she took the feedback well and, and started to reshape the perception, which is a which is a really good thing because a lot of people I talk about a lot is perception management, and I have in the book. Um, you have to really manage your perceptions, and then when when it's out of you know out of sync with who you think you are, you have to find a way to change it, and that's exactly what she and she's she's very successful now. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, it seems to me that in order to um, do this well, the whole trust factor is important, and you talk about trust in the book as a key component here. Tell us what you say about trust. Yeah, I think, like, well, first, let me start trust is, it is, I do believe it's a key component. I think it's what's being called on for all organizations today after the global financial crisis. That you know, there's not a lot of trust left. But I talk about trust in a very different way in the book. I talk about it from trust that verify. This is another area that I found working with new employees, and I would say, kind of recent graduates from MBA programs that some, not all, would come into the company and think everybody's their friend. And um, so I about trust but verify. And I learned this from an incredibly wonderful, savvy leader at one of my former companies when I was going on saying how great this one person was. And he pulled me aside and said, why is that person telling you this information? And I went, what? What, are you, what would he mean? He said, think about it. Think about this as a chess game and watch this person telling you this information. And you need to be very careful and be critical with, you know, keep this information. So it's trust but verify that I talk about in the book. Don't go away carrying a naive suitcase thinking everybody's your friend. And also don't go in thinking everybody's negatively political. It's what you carry into the situa- into the organization and in every situation. Trust and verify. Yeah, I find that interesting. Um, I think some people have a ch- that's challenging for some people because if if they do that, then there's some implication there that they aren't trusting, right? They they don't trust that person or you know the situation, 
And um, yet you're saying this is a pretty pragmatic thing to do. Well, you know, to quote one of our former presidents, it was his line, I think, trust but verify, right? Um, I, I do think it's pragmatic. Um, and, I don't, and I know it's hard. There's a fine line there to say, you know, are, are you, do you trust people? Do you not trust people? I, I write that as that. Just take a step back and say, why is this information being given to me? You know, what is the purpose? What is the point of this? And so it's just little step back. I was probably one of those that went in trusting everybody and then uh, found that, uh, that that wasn't the way to go. And so, so I use this. You know, when people give me a piece of information, I'm thinking, well, why are they telling me that? What's the point of that? So, yeah, so it's, a, it's a hard one to explain, but I, but I think once you just have that critical sense, or right. maybe it's a problem-solving mindset. Hmm. Hmm. And, you know, I bet intuition plays in this a little bit, and I want to talk more about that when we come right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. So welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and we are speaking with Jane Horn today, the author of I Wish I'd Known That Earlier in My Career, The Power of Positive Workplace Politics. So we were talking about trust, Jane, and the whole concept of trust and verify. And I'm curious to know what if you think that intuition plays a part in this at all. <laughs> Yeah, it's big. It's huge. Um, and I, I, um, when I, I have to go back to when I started learning about savvy. So I, I was connected to a, a one of my, uh, I guess my biggest, uh, let me see, he's a mentor, Marty Seldman, who wrote a book on, uh, positive politics. And right. when I, when I first met him, he was talking about intuition and he said, this is critical. So I, I do, it, it is absolutely critical. But then, you know, by saying that, people go, well, I'm not intuitive. So then how do you deal with it? 
So I think my, the answer is, if you are intuitive, you have this natural intuitive sense, it's going to be easier for you to read the nuances of situations, groups, organizations. If you're not, you can learn it. Well, okay. You can learn the intuitive side, huh? <laughs> it's just, it goes back to, um, it goes back to actually a lot of the steps I talk about in the book. So, so a lot of times when people read my book, I'll get an email like this. Got your book, read it, loved it. I know all this stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I don't do it. That's the next thing. But I don't oh, do it. Okay. So, so what it is is the steps that are in the book, like a one concept we don't like is to self-promote or to talk about our, what we do, right? There's steps on how to do that. There's steps on how do you look at an organization from a power and influence perspective. How do you start managing perceptions? How do you start the last question we had is how do you start trusting and verifying? All of those are steps if you're not, if it doesn't come natural to you to walk into an organization and go, okay, I get this soon. I understand what's going on. And so is this part of the 12-step program you have for changing perceptions and building your reputation? <laughs> so uh, that's funny. The, uh, the 12-step program is just actually um, uh, is on perception management. Um, so that's just one one part of savvy, but I firmly believe it's critical, and I've gotten a lot of pushback on that. When I give talks or give workshops, I'll have people say, "Isn't this manipulative?" And I don't, I don't think so. I, you know, there's all this talk about building your brand and building your leadership brand, but nobody talks about running an audit on who you are because you may think of you in one way, but the group may be looking at you in a very different way, and so mm-hmm. you need to man- audit and manage perceptions. And so you not only have to be aware and it's almost like you have to have your antenna up all the time. You have to be paying attention, being present. You have to be looking at everybody. You have to be thinking about how they not only are interacting with you, but how they um, are perceiving you, right? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, although I believe maybe about a couple of years ago I wrote a blog on that because I didn't want people to become incredibly paranoid after I started giving talks or and actually wrote the book. So um, you do need to pay attention. I believe if you ask any leader, they are aware of um, how other people experience them or the impact of the conversation or how they're being received, right? My sense is a very intuitive leader or a very empathetic leader would, would think, well, how... How is somebody taking that comment that I just made? And so, you know, in a sense, it's really emotional intelligence. I'm just honing in on one area of emotional intelligence. So I do want to get to your 12-step program. Uh, I I think this is great. Um, And, you know, let's talk a little bit about the the essence of this. You know, I mean, as I was reading this, I thought, you know, if people just did this, their whole career would be different, right? So, you know, one of the first things you say is find a mentor or coach, somebody to, to really tap into. And you say to tap and tap into your power network. What is your power network? Yeah. 
So um, this is another area when I work with um, managers. I do a lot of work with just below, you know, the CEO or a couple levels below that. So people who have aspirations to move up the organization or have aspirations to be influential, right? So a lot of times I'll ask people about their networks and I'll say, well, I've got, you know, I've got a ton of networks. I've got, you know, 100 LinkedIn followers and 2,000 Twitter followers, and, and I talk about, well, wh- who's inside, who inside your organization or outside of your organization has power and influence? Those are the people that you need to connect with and ensure you have a, a strong relationship with them. And so I, 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 I talk about finding the, the top 10 people who, could, who can be your personal board mm. that have influence and power. And even even people who are inside of organizations, you're not talking only about people who own their own businesses. You're literally talking about people who work inside medium, large businesses and corporations, right? Well, both. So, um, so uh, I give a lot of talks on this subject, right? And I'll have people say, "Well, if this is the way organization works." then I'm going to quit and become a consultant. And I say, if you want to quit and become a consultant, you actually need to do what I say in this book with an edge. You need to understand who makes the decisions because if you're going out selling your product. So it's both. So it's internally inside organizations and if you're a consultant or small, medium. And I love it when people say, I work in a family company and we don't have this. <laughs> and then I get people inside family companies going, you don't? Well, come to my family company because uh-huh. we have it all the time. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So one of the 12-step program, one of the 12 steps in this program you have um, is, I really love this, do something completely out of character. If you're viewed as quiet, speak up in meetings. If you're known to be tough on subordinates, take more interest in their well-being. So why is this important? This is, has to do with perception management. So there's, you know, the coaching industry is just, boomed and blossomed, right? And um, I worked with a incredibly powerful lawyer who was moving up to um, up the organization to become general counsel, and he was particularly pedantic and tough on people, and he had a blow-up. And even though he had a coach, me and somebody else was coaching him right uh, through the years, um, Everybody went back on that one blow-up that he had, which was a, which was really minor, and it but it but it was that perception. It was just see, you know, you're never going to change, and look, you're still going to have these old behaviors. So it's you, what if you do that, and you're trying to change behaviors, you have to stand up and announce it and say, look, I'm sorry, and I'm trying to work on me, and you know, call, make it uh, announce what you're doing. Or if you're the quiet person in the room, and I get this all the time. You know, he or she never says anything. Hmm. Have something to say and and say it at the end of the meeting so people will remember. Oh, that makes sense. Hmm, that's a really good tip. Say it at the end of a meeting. Huh. Okay. So, so one of the other um, points in this 12-step program um, is something I think that a lot of people would have trouble with because nobody really knows how to do it well. Embark on a word-of-mouth campaign to promote yourself and your team. Now, you know, people say a lot that they don't like when people promote themselves, right? 
that person is a self-promoter, or they're always talking about themselves, etc. You, you know the drill. So tell us how this is different from what you know, provokes that sentiment in people. Yeah, this is the big one, and I believe I start the book this way on self-promotion, and this is the area that I found was critical, and it's also an area that all of us cringe, right? We walk into right. something, oh, um, but it's something that I found in talent management that, uh, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but really those were the people that were moving ahead. So what I talk about is doing it with integrity, and I talk about If you are managing a team, your team expects you to be talking about what they're doing. So that's number one, you have to do that, right? Number two, organizations are so big and they're, you know, so diverse and virtually connected that if somebody, you know, say, you know, your headquarters is in New York and you're working in Beijing, if they don't know what you're doing, what I found inside organizations is when there was a massive shift, uh, those were the people that were like, oh, we don't really know what they do, so let's let's put them on a list, you know. Um, so it is it is important so organizations know what you're doing. It also shares knowledge. If you have a great idea and you're sitting at your desk with that great idea and you might have made an impact, but nobody in New York or Beijing knows about it, it's a loss to the organization. So I talk about reframing your thinking on the self-promotion, and I don't talk about saying, well, I did this and I did that. It is about here's what we did and here was the impact to the company. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways you're talking about it after the fact and how it benefited everyone and the company. And so... How do people, though, get over this whole feeling of, even when they're saying that, they've reframed it and they're saying that, how do they get past the feeling of, well, I don't like to brag about myself? Yeah. Um, so so I, I like the part when you said it's about after the fact. So I, I'm going to tell you a story about a, a woman that I worked with just recently who just was averse to this, and it was interesting that the company said she needs to raise her profile. So um, she was a person who was really busy always entering data on their customers in a spreadsheet, right? And she and she was saying, I really hate this. So she finally got an assistant to help her, and she started looking at that data and found trends in what the customers were saying. And so she just so I said, she goes, this is really fascinating. So I said, well, why don't you write an email on that and say what you learned from that data and how it impacts the company and how, how some solutions that you're telling me can add value. So she did. Because it, was, it, was, it wasn't her. It was her. She was, she was, you know, looking at the data, but she wrote the email and talking about, here's what I learned, here's the trend, here's what's going on. So it's kind of a, it's marketing, right? Right. And because she did it, it raised her profile. It, it, she also talked about a team member who helped her crunch the data. That was self-promotion, but it was with an art and it was something that the company needed to know. And within months, I had people calling me saying, you know, I never heard of this woman three months ago, but now she's all over the place. <laughs> That's interesting. Wow. Well, and it seems that if you can frame it in a way that it's helpful to others, 
know, I can imagine yeah. that, you know, that information around this is what I've learned about the customer via, via this data, that then the rest of the company is going to then look at that and say, oh, how does that apply to our division? You know, what we're doing with customers, our product, et cetera. So it sounds like it, if it's something that's also helpful or useful, then people don't view it as bragging about what you're doing. Yeah, and, and I, I, exactly. So it's how does it impact others, how does it impact the organization? And, and I worked with a, actually I heard a story with a compensation and benefits person in human resources. And these are people that do a lot of the data analysis on salaries and things like that. And this woman came up with this really fantastic idea to ensure uh, new compensation on sales, right? And she was sharing it with her friends, and this leader across the room said, why aren't you talking about this? Why aren't you telling more people? This is critically important to talent management. And her response was, well, I don't want to talk about what I do. So that's, that's another story to tell you why this is so important. Right, right. So you do talk about some gender differences, and I'm curious, do you find that men or women, one more than the other, have um, more difficulty in the self-promotion or raising their profile? Yeah, um, and this is the one that I, 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 I step lightly on. Um, but it's what I found anecdotally from being in talent management that there were definitely gender differences. And what's amazing to me is, again, here's another, I'm going to make a sweeping generalization, is women have a tendency to be more intuitive. So when we go inside organizations, why do we lose that intuitive sense, right? Why don't, why don't we see what's going on inside the company? And, um, yeah, so there, there are some differences, but I'm really careful on stereotypes and hasty generalizations. Well, I can understand that. It's a, it's a dangerous place to go. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, we don't want to stereotype, and I, I, to, I completely understand that. And it seems that the more and more experience I have, I actually do see um, more threads of commonality among the way women do things and then among the way men do things. And, um, you know, early in my career, I would have absolutely denied that to be true. I would have said, no, no way. Everybody does everything the same way. Everybody has the same skills. You know, it's just a matter of how you put them into use. And as I have... The longer I've worked and, and worked with clients, et cetera, I do see some gender, gender differences. And it's not, you know, across the board. It's not 100%. But there does seem to be these common threads. And, you know, I mean, is that, is that because of our biology, in you know, the way we're hardwired or the way different cultures raise us? You know, I mean... Do you have a sense of that? Well, um, yeah, I do. Um, I do. I think there's cultural differences. I'm not big on the biology or the neurosciences. I know there's lots of books out on that. Um, I think it's how we're socialized. And back to the point on self-promotion, there's a lot of research on that this is a double-edged sword for women because because 
out there in the world, we do have stereotypes. We do think, you know, women should be this way and men should be this way. So when women self-promote and do it in a very direct manner, it can it can it can it can backfire, and, right. and there's tremendous research on this. Right. Whereas if women don't self-promote, it can also backfire because you end up not being seen or not being visible. So right. yeah, I, there's a lot of research on differences, uh, uh, leadership differences, not only with gender but also with cultures. Sure, sure. Well, you have some more more about uh, gender differences in your book, and I want us to touch on that a bit when we come back for our next segment. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and we're speaking with Jane Horn today. So, Jane, we were speaking about gender and cultural issues um, around politics and being savvy in organizations. And, and in your book, you talk a bit about it, and, and you've mentioned that, you know, you, you, you don't want to be um, – you don't want to create an indictment around this. It's not always that way, and it, there's no blame for, for people acting certain ways. And, and, and I like what you say in the book about, um, you know, though males and females may be different from each other, a lot of times it's more about the perception rather than the actual behavior. So, you know, you talk about, for instance, that... Um, women may be perceived as being indirect, whether they are or not. So talk about that a little bit. Tell us more about that concept. Well, you know, this is one of those that that I'm I'm sensing that most people will be like, oh, yeah, I've been there. So, so. There's um, there's a lot of great research, and it actually started a, 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 in the 1950s and 60s with Edward T. Hall, who looked at different communication styles across Native American Indians versus 
uh, other indigenous populations, right? And he found this indirect and direct communication styles. Uh, this is also across cultures. Uh, a lot of times you'll find this in Asia, and it's also across gender. And I'm going to add it's also inside functions and work environments, right, because you see a lot coming out on introverts and extroverts. So. So there's a, there's a generalization that women have a tendency to be uh, more indirect, and Deborah Tannen in her book, You Just Don't Understand, calls this out. Um, and there, and there's, a, there's a lot of people now saying against that. But anyway, so the generalization is women are more indirect. And what, what happens is when you have somebody who's very direct and female, then all the labels start coming out, and I'll I'll just you know, let people conjure up what those labels are. And this is what I would see inside talent management. So you'd have somebody who was, you know, negotiating for a salary and negotiating for a promotion. If it was a female, they'd be like, hmm, that's just a little too aggressive. But on the other hand, if men were doing that, it was assertive and okay. So I found that, I found that very interesting and very much alive inside organizations. So if that's the case, and, you know, I know that, um, as I think about how I have had the experience of watching women who are very strong, very direct, um, you know, just kind of no-nonsense gets business done, who are oftentimes perceived as having a hard edge. And whereas, you know, sometimes if there's a man who has that same style, um, it's simply perceived as um, having a lot of drive and getting business done. And so if that's a reality, that, that sounds like that's a political reality in organizations, right? So what is it that um, someone can do if, you know, for instance, this woman who may have maybe perceived as having this hard edge, you know, what would work for her in terms of her behavior, in terms of her relationships, you know, what, what would you say? You know, I'm, I'm. I talk about this in the book too, about reading the organizational culture. So, if the organizational culture is one that it's very candid and outspoken, then my I advise shifting in that direction as far as it's comfortable. Right? I don't like to make people be, you know, go against their values or cultures, whatever. So. So I, this is where the intuitive piece comes in. Read what's going on inside the organization. If the organization is more of an indirect culture, then it's probably necessary to be indirect. If you, if you, if you, if you move from, say, outside of New York and go into some countries in Asia where the style is indirect, you, you have to adapt to that style to get, you know, to get business done. So I would say shift. Um, and we can all style shift. And I, I love it when people say, well, you know, this is me and this is how I'm going to do it. Okay, but, you know, I think sometimes we do need to be a chameleon. And I talk about um, using uh, more consultative speak. So uh, help me understand what you meant by that based on my, here's what I'm hearing you said. You know, more take a consultant's approach. You know, as you said, you could leave New York and then go to Asia and it's this different culture. You know, I have clients who have left New York and gone to somewhere in the middle of the country and feel like they are in another world because <laughs> the, the culture is so different and there is very much that, you know, m- more of an indirect, uh, more of a 
soft step uh, rather than the hard driving, just speak your mind, get it done. And, um, you know, it's fascinating. It's just fascinating because there's, within our own country, we have a lot of regional differences. Completely agree because I'm from Southern California and I remember when meeting people from the East Coast and being called out for being indirect or or sometimes, uh, you know, other labels. <laughs> so you worked, um, you, you've worked for some really interesting companies, and I'm curious to know, um, you know, when, when you were inside some of these very high-profile companies, Kraft Foods, Walt Disney Company, CNBC, you know, what did you find was the toughest politic to deal with? Mm. Uh, let me, I'm going to answer that in two ways. One is um, when I talk to people about organizational politics, um, and I, I will add that Marty Selman asked me this question, he would say, is it, would you rather work for an over overly political boss or an under-political boss? And a lot of times the answer will be under-political, and that's probably not who you want to work for, right? The over-political over politician is, is the one. So inside organizations, the hardest, the hardest thing is an organization that is nuanced, an organization that is indirect, an organization that does not have candid conversations is one that is very difficult to work in because you have to have an intuitive sense uh, rather than a very candid organization. And it's, it's interesting because it gets back to our previous conversation is where is your natural style? I'm more indirect. I'm more, I feel more comfortable in an indirect kind of nuanced culture rather than a very candid, in-your-face, uh, direct confrontational culture. So, but I would say that the latter one, the intuitive, sorry, the indirect and, and um, not so candid is more difficult. Uh-huh. Right, because you can't, you can't see, you can't, you can't, um, there's no evidence. You have to be... Yeah. Um, trying to piece it together, right? You have to figure out what's going on. And so uh, what, I, what I often find interesting when someone is left out of a, uh, not invited to a dinner party or not invited to whatever, and they'll say, oh, they just forgot me. Um, people just don't forget. So, so those, are little, those are little things you have to kind of go, oh, that's, that's interesting. Why was, I, why was I left off the list? Right. Right. So, what was it like to work for, like, a company like CNBC? CNBC's—they uh, were all fascinating. Uh, CNBC, and they're all vastly different cultures, which probably right, is vastly. Right. Like, look at right. it. CNBC was New York, Kraft is Midwest, and Disney yeah. uh, Ca- California. Right. CNBC was a wonderfully bright people. Uh, very took on the GE culture because at that point GE owned them. Very direct confrontation. Sorry, direct communication style. Uh, confidence and integrity were the three values, and speed. Uh, so. Uh-huh. Vastly different than Walt Disney, um, and you pretty much knew where you stood at CNBC. And so, people were willing to give open feedback. People were willing to say, "You have a place here. You have a future here, or you don't," um, which is not always the case in organizations, right? <clears throat> yep. 
And my sense is uh, that was Jack Welch's uh, uh, very heavy GE influence on CNBC. Uh, So, yeah, you really knew where you stood. And they're pretty open and obvious about the the talent management planning. In other organizations, uh, you don't necessarily know, either one, if you're in the talent pool or outside the talent pool, and other organizations are not that direct. So what is it that you would tell people who are um, considering moving into the work world um, where do they start to learn more about all this playing the politics or being successful in organizations? Yeah, but I, you know, it's interesting. It's it's a it's an it's it's a good question. Um, I I'm going to tell it with another story. I was brought in for, to an investment bank to speak to a group of high potential young bankers who who literally just graduated from college and they were told they were the best of the best of the best and they were definitely going to be the the bank's future leaders. And so they said, can you come in and give a talk on your book? And honestly, it fell flat because they came from, you know, Harvard and Oxford and Beida and the best schools around the world. And they were told they were the best of the best of the best. And so I was talking about when you go into an organization, build your network early, find a mentor, you know, all the things that I write about in the book, understand power, understand influence networks, and it just fell flat. So I think one, you have to be receptive to listen to. It, uh, to listen to, look, it's not everything that you learn in school. It is these nuances. It is relationships that are so critically important. And then how do I go about doing that? You go about doing that with your integrity and values intact and, you know, find five people right away that can, can guide you and help you in your career. Um, you think about how you're going to talk about what you and your team does or learn from other people. So, so it starts with awareness and acceptance, and then you know, then you can read the book, and all the tips are there. Right. You know, I find that fascinating because the um, the big schools, the Ivy League schools, um, they they thrive on the network. These people are in fraternities and sororities, and they are. Um, members of lineages of people who have gone to these same schools. And there's very much the, um, the social network. And so it's interesting to me that they kind of looked at, you know, what you were saying with blank stares, like, what are you talking about? You know, it's almost as if they already do it. They're, they're in it so much they don't even see it. Yeah, you know, I never thought about that. But you're right. Cause you look at you look at some of the schools, and and I talk to parents now who are trying to find the best schools or Harvard or Yale or whatever that have these networks, and it's all about the networks. But what I find with um, people newly entering the workforce or some managers that have kind of have been in that sort of stuck in their career middle level for a long time is that they might have a network, but that network might not be uh, what I talk about. It not, might not have the power or influence that they need, and that's what you have to be 
what I say you need to look for. Look for a very broad network. And I'm not talking about CEOs or CFO. I'm talking about people inside the company who have informal influence. Or I talk about the connectors inside the company. Who else can you get connected to that can give you some advice or give you feedback or manage your perception? So it's a different way, I guess, of looking at a network. Right, right. What is social media? How does social media play into all this? Big. Big. <laughs> yeah? Um, I talk as, well, I think, first of all, you need your 10, but I, but it's, social media is very important, and I'm a big fan of Twitter. I think Twitter uh, can build your reputation quicker than any other social media. Um, it can help you become an expert, and, and as long as your company is okay with you tweeting, I think it also builds the profile of the company. But you can become an expert, uh, I think, within you know, a short amount of time on Twitter. Uh, and have a, a large group of following. So I do think it's important. I think it's also important is I I talk, spoke with one HR manager, and I don't I'm not saying this is right, but he told me he looks at people's Facebook pages to see who they connect with, right. so he can see who the talent is connecting with. And I went, that's a little invasive, but but it's it happens. People look at who you're connected to, right. and with. That's right. The reality of today. Well, Jane, we have got to go. We have had a very full show today. We're so grateful that you have been here. So I know people are going to want to know more, and they're going to want to um, know more about your book. So how can they reach you? Well, the book's on Amazon, and you can download it on a Kindle or download it on an Apple. Uh, and my website is The Horn Group. So it's pretty easy to find me. And I write a blog on these topics. Jane is author of I Wish I'd Known That Earlier in My Career, The Power of Positive Workplace Politics. Jane, it's been great having you here. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. And remember, everyone, to think big. The world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.